Kiddos, the Advent theme for today is peace. And so we're going to continue to use the book of Isaiah, as we did last week, as a guide for our Advent season. And the book of Isaiah has some complexity to it. It's just not kind of a straightforward narrative. Um, One, it's it's a long book, but also it does not all occur, all 66 chapters of it do not all occur within the same Context. Uh, it spans a number of, uh, or spans the reigns, reign of a number of kings, and of different uh, events going on uh, in Israel's history. But not only that, it's important to us today because it not only speaks to to Isaiah's immediate historical context and where he was, but it also points to this greater uh, future fulfillment. That we will see in Christ the Messiah. And so last week we looked at a passage from Isaiah 8. And today we're going to focus on um, a section in Isaiah chapter 11. So just a few chapters later. And it's important to know that uh, what we'll look at today covers or shares the same historical context as what we covered last week. And I want to point this out for two reasons. One, because just knowing context is very important for our understanding of the Bible. We have to know what it was saying, what the meaning of it was for that time. But as we draw forward, as we draw from that, we also see the meaning of that in the New Testament. We see the meaning of that in Christ, and we see the meaning of that for our lives today. So context is important, but it's also important kind of for us in this little series, this Advent series, because next week and the week after that, we're still going to be in Isaiah but the context is going to change. Um, and so we'll get to that uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But just to say there's a little bit of a time warp that's going to happen from what we've covered last week and this week and the next two weeks. So just to, just to very, very briefly recap where we're at in the context. So in case you weren't here, in case you, know, you, uh, you slept in or maybe you were sleeping during the sermon, whatever it might have been, just a very quick recap. So first, we're in the B.C. times, right, way before Christ. And more specifically, we can narrow this down to around 732 to 716 B.C. That's, that's pretty specific. How do we know that? Well, we know that because King Ahaz is mentioned in the text of Isaiah. And we know when King Ahab ruled, or Ahaz, sorry, not Ahab. Uh, and we know when he reigned. We also know that During this time, during the time of King Ahaz, we know that the Assyrian Empire was the big power player in the region. They were the big big people on campus in that area of the world. And the nation of Assyria was known for its brutality. It was not a a peaceful people. It's not really what they were known for. Um, They boasted in how they not only defeated their enemies... But they slaughtered them. So this is this is from uh, this isn't in the Bible. This is from archaeological evidence from the Assyrian Empire. This is what one of the kings said about their uh, their military battles. He says, "I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities." He also described a battle where 3,000 were killed and many others taken prisoner. Many of the captives I burned in fire. Many I took alive. 
And from some, I cut off their hands to the wrist. From others, I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. I burned their young men and women to death. That's the kind of stuff that they celebrated, <laughs> in a way. Not necessarily the, the nicest people to be neighbors to. Think about this nation of, of Judah. And it's surrounded by, or it's just borders uh, to the north, the nation of Israel, which Judah and Israel. And then there's the Assyrian Empire. And they're this kind of dominating threat of the time. So I bring all this in context to say that Isaiah finds himself in these times. In these very uncertain, very troubling, very uh, uh, tense times. The Assyrians are bad. King Ahaz is bad. The nation of Judah has fallen into detestable practices and they're failing to honor God. But even as bleak and as dark and as troubling as these times were, God calls people to be faithful stewards of his truth and that's what Isaiah was. So as we turn to God's word, let us first pray. Holy God, though nations rise and fall, Though generations come and go, though the flowers bloom and wither, your word, O Lord, endures forever. Lord, make your spirit to illuminate our minds to your wisdom and stir within our hearts a renewed passion for your grace and reveal to, how, to us how you are beckoning us ever forward to be ambassadors of your love and truth and peace. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like, an, like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's draw our attention back to verse 1, because Isaiah uses some interesting imagery here. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So what's supposed to come to mind here, you can put your, you know, your imagination hats on for a second, is this big tree, all right? So picture this big tree, and this tree has been cut down at its base, and all that's left now is this stump. 
You think, well, why does Isaiah suddenly sound like a lumberjack here? There's, there's a reason for that. He's getting across this imagery that the tree represents the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah is supposed to be this strong, this mighty, this noble tree, this flourishing, life-giving thing, this oak of righteousness and justice, this refuge for the oppressed. But instead, the, the nation and its kings, like Ahaz, have squandered God's covenant blessing through their corruption, through their idolatry, through their disobedience. And as a result, what's supposed to be this magnificent tree is cut down, sawed in half, left but nothing but this smoldering stump. Now you've seen stumps. They look pretty dead. Not really much hope for a stump. And it sounds like in this passage that God is just done with his people. He's just cut the tree down, and all that's left is a stump. But, and this is, this is a big but, not the kind of big but from the song, not B-U-T-T, but but B-U-T. And this is a big one. It's an important one. But God promises that this stump, this smoldering stump that has been cut down, will be a holy seed. God's going to insert life into this stump. And from this stump, this shoot will grow. It might start small. You know, this this little sprout is going to grow up from this stump, this new life to spring up from the roots because God is not done. God will restore his people. And Isaiah describes how God promises to do this through a special person. Isaiah gives us kind of God's method for this, and in the few chapters leading up to chapter uh, 11 where we are, Isaiah has already been giving little, almost little uh, uh, spoiler details about this person. I couldn't think of the word I was looking for. In chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah spoke these familiar words that we hear around Christmas time, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the maiden is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. That's in this section. In chapter 9, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and it, it keeps going. Well, here in chapter 11 now, we see that this shoot will come from the root of Jesse, all right, so my Bible scholars out there, who's Jesse? <laughs> David's father. Yeah, yeah, David's father. King David's father is Jesse. And so this, this shoot is going to come from the root of Jesse. It's going to come from David's lineage. And this person, as Isaiah continues into verse 2, says that, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So under this this person, this special person that we'll just go ahead and name as the Messiah, under this Messiah's rule and authority, Isaiah describes it using really interesting illustrations, as we see in in verses 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Okay, can you get a mental picture of that? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. 
Do you see the contrast there? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. So, you know, parenting 101, we know not to leave our little kids with lions, right? We know that. Hopefully you know that. Taking them to the zoo is okay. Sending them out in the African safari on their own, probably not the best parenting advice. And he continues, the, the cow and the bear shall graze together. The young shall lie down, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child, so just think, you know, a, a, a baby child that's still nursing will play over the hole of a what? Of a cobra. Again, parenting 101, don't do that. Isaiah's using this, some images here to say something. The wean child shall put his hand over the adder's den. Uh, that's also a, describing a poisonous snake. Um, yeah. What's it describing here? What is Isaiah trying to paint a picture of? He's trying to paint a picture of peace. Where there was once hostility and tension and violence and, and destruction against one another, no longer there will be. I think this great. But remember, Isaiah is also not writing this from an ivory tower. Remember his context. Remember the troubles that he's facing, his culture, his world. And he remember, he, in the midst of that, God, or Isaiah receives from God a promise. And this promise is for hope. That though the times are dark, there is hope. Though there's hostility and tensions and these crazy Assyrians, there is going to be peace. And we'll lastly look at verse 10. And that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. I kind of like how the NIV translates that. The nations will rally to him. It's this picture of, so there's the, the nation of Judah and Israel and God's people, but it's all these other nations coming in joyful procession to be a part of this, this new hope, this new community. And his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah points us to a greater hope. He points us to the Prince of Peace. And just as I said last week that faith is the foundation of hope, well, faith is the foundation of peace. And through faith in Christ, first we have peace with God. We see in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1, similar. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, that's the gospel message. That's the message of salvation, that through faith we can, we can be reconciled to God and have peace with God, and that's amazing. But the Spirit of Christ is not just concerned about our individual salvation. Christ calls us forward to share that peace with the world. We're to have that outward expression of God's peace. Even though we live in a world of unrest, in a world of troubles, in a world of time, that times that feels dark, wars continue. Injustice 
continues. Violence and oppression and exploitation continue. Poor leadership and power struggles, they continue. Idolatry and corruption, all that still continues. Not much has changed from the times of Isaiah to now. And all these things, we know that Christ's peace is greater. And sure, it's easy to look at the global stage. You know, we can look at things that are happening in Ukraine. We can look at things happening in other parts of the world. And we can, you know, say, gosh, the world is a dark place. The world needs peace. But friends, it's got to start right here with us. Christ calls us to be the light on the hill, to receive his peace and to represent his peace to the world. And like I said, even this world of conflict and unrest. And this idea of peace, you know, we talk about it in church and we can light a candle and it sounds nice. It sounds pleasant. We want to, you know, say peace on earth. You know, if you're in a beauty pageant, you might say, you know, I wish for world peace. You know, it sounds nice. And it's pretty easy when things are going in our favor, but when we disagree with someone or when someone upsets us, you know, that whole idea of peace isn't so easy. In fact, sometimes we're just not very good at it. And I'm not just talking with strangers, you know, some, the person that cuts you off on I-10 or, you know, that cuts in front of you at the grocery store. I don't know if that happens, but you know what I mean. Just situations where there's some stranger that just causes you just to get frustrated not talking so much about that. Let's bring this closer to home. Right? We're in the holiday season, the time when families gather together. You might be spending some extra time with your families through Thanksgiving and leading up to Christmas and this time of the year. A little bit of audience participation. Don't be scared. Who's ever had some family drama? Let's show of hands. Yeah? Who's ever gotten upset with a relative? (laughs) Show of hands. Some of you are reluctant, but we know. Is it easy to show peace in those situations? When we're in the heat of that moment, when we're feeling hurt, when we're feeling betrayed, when we're feeling, you know, sometimes we get defensive or we dig our heels in, we act out, we close doors, we walk away. We might even just get mean with each other. But living in the peace of Christ for us today means extending that peace. The peace that we have received. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Make every effort, every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Or as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of what? Through the bond of peace. I like this verse in uh, Ephesians because Paul is speaking here directly to the church. You know, yeah, we know we kind of have family dysfunction and everything like that. Well, the church is a family too. The church, the body of Christ, we are, we are called to be this united community of people who exemplify the peace of Christ amongst one another. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree with one another, but it should mean that we, of all people on the planet, we as followers of Christ are supposed to set the model. We're supposed to demonstrate forgiveness and reconciliation and grace and love 
and peace, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we just don't want to. When people see us, they ought to see the peace of Christ actively working. But it's in the practice of that peace that I'm afraid we we fail far too often. Now, this isn't a new problem for us today. It's not like we just kind of, the generation today has struggled with this. Pretty much all of Paul's letters in the New Testament are addressing conflict. They're addressing disagreements in the church and unrest in church communities. And Paul labors through his letters to try to bring people back to their common bond in Christ and to bring their perspective back to the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2, one great example. Just notice how many times it it mentions just the word peace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are, who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and raises, arises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. It's a call to peace. It's a call to unity. Christ, or Paul even says here, Christ is our peace. Christ is the one foundation on which we are all to stand. And so if all we do is talk, about grace and talk about forgiveness and talk about peace, but don't actually practice those things, then we fail to represent what Christ is all about. We fail to represent Christ to the world. And what, what good is it to confess it if we don't practice it? When we don't practice peace, we become labeled judgmental, closed off, cold, unwelcoming, We become really no different from the world around us and we become hypocrites. The very thing that turns most people away from the church when we don't practice what we preach. Why would anyone really want to believe in something that says it stands for peace and love and forgiveness but doesn't actually practice those things? The death of the church will not come from a threat on the outside. The death of the church is at risk from the hypocrisy on the inside. And so here's my call for action for us today as we continue in this holiday season, this Christmas season. As people saved by grace, saved by the Prince of Peace, who might you need to talk to this holiday season? What neighbor, coworker, family member, friend, might you need to invite to lunch or to coffee in order to seek peace 
forgiveness, reconciliation. And I know there's some complicated situations out there, but I'm simply asking you to do what Paul encouraged the Christians in Rome to do when he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you can't control what the other person does, right? But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What steps can you take to extend the peace of Christ to others, not just with the handshake and the greeting time, but to extend the the peace and the reconciliation and the love to others. So how might you begin that conversation? Tell them the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. You can even acknowledge, you know, this isn't easy for me. It's kind of difficult. It's uncomfortable. You might say, I know we've had our disagreements, we've gotten upset, but my Faith in Christ calls me to seek peace and pursue it. It calls, uh, it calls me to forgive and to reconcile. And though I, I know I'm not perfect at this, I know I need to try. Because I want to live out my faith as best as I can. I'm going to end today's sermon with a, a section from Romans chapter 12. And I'm reading from this because, first of all, in this passage, Paul himself quotes from Isaiah chapter 11. He brings in, as he, as he understands Isaiah chapter 11, he brings it into his context into that day. So I think that's worth noting. But secondly, he's quoting from Isaiah to speak to the church about the difficulties they are having, about the unrest that they are having. And so he encourages them with these words, and we'll end with this reading. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring God praise. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And this is where he quotes from Isaiah 11. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations and in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May that be our encouragement today. Amen. Let us pray. God, we 